but we are going to be going into the last three things that you have to govern over your govern over your spirit. And of course, we talked about uh, three things last week, so we have a total of six. The leader must govern these six things in his life, his or her life, um, in order to to be successful as a leader. And I'll run through the first three real quick. And the first one was a leader must govern his conscience, his conscience. Uh, your conscience is what, uh, how you discern between right and wrong, your conscience. And of course, the Bible talks about a man can have a weak conscience, a man can have a strong conscience, or a, a, a man can actually have his conscience seared like a hot iron to the point that it becomes, it, it's, it's not something that the man even responds to anymore. It's like it's been seared. So it, it's not something that you even sense any longer. That's why people can do wicked, horrible things and, and not have a conscience about it because they've gotten numb to the things that have tried to pull them in certain directions before and they ignored it, ignored it, ignored it. And, you know, I was listening uh, earlier this week to a podcast and it was about uh, your conscience. And it's interesting because it was uh, by bro Brother Jonathan Shuttlesworth. He was saying, it was interesting because he was saying, you know, in today's time, our culture today, because of media, because of the internet, because of social media, a child today at the age of 12 can be exposed to the elements that back in when we were kids, what a 30-year-old would be exposed to. So as a result, at age 12, their conscience can actually be so numb by the time that they're 13, 14, 15 into adulthood because they've exposed themselves to things and no one was there to gauge those things in their life, to put up perimeters, to put up controls, and, and just allow them to be exposed to things, allow them to be exposed to anything on the internet, allow them to be exposed to things on the TV, you know, and uh, even, you know, like violence, the, the violence that's on TV today, you know, sex uh, sin that's on TV today uh, in right in your hands 30 years ago that wasn't the issue kids could not uh, take a, a handheld device into their room and look at whatever so it's different today you know there has to be uh, controls there has to be perimeter things put up for our children because they they have a different walk than what we had as adults, you know? They're dealing with different things. So we have to understand that if we don't guard these things as adults, as parents, then they're, they, they have a conscience that's getting exposed at a very young age. So we have to make sure that we are governing our conscience and listening to what is right and what's wrong in our life because it seriously does have an impact if we ignore it because we can numb it. It can become numb. It was like I was... a. Uh, saying, you know, if you watch a certain movie over and over and over, you become, like the first time you're like, ooh, you know, and you might respond to a certain scene, but then you've seen it, and if you've seen it again, and it, becomes, it, it numbs you, or you uh, watch the same types of movies. If you're watching, you know, horror movies, that's something that I, I think I saw one one time, and, but I already knew in my spirit that it was wrong, because it has, it has that element of fear. You know, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. Why would he want us to be exposed to fearful things? I wouldn't even let my children scare each other growing up. Like if one tried to hide behind the corner and jump out or in the dark, and they, I wouldn't even let my kids do that because I, did nev I never wanted them to instill fear in one another because God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. So 
Was I going somewhere? Did I, did I start a story and not finish? I know that I am. I'm on conscience. I just wanted to make sure I finished the story if I started it. Huh? Horror movies. Yeah, if you've, been, if you've watched that over and over and over, you can become numb to that. And then to the point that it can even get to a, a place where, you know, how do you think serial killers are, are born? You know, it's not because all of a sudden they become a serial killer. They have played things in their mind over and over and over. So these things are not by accident. Number two, a leader must govern his devotion, his devotion, what he devotes himself to. Now, this is interesting because devotion is what you put your time towards, what you put your energy towards, what you put your love, your passion towards, and your uh, whatever you devote yourself to creates a passion for it, and passion drives you. Passion drives you. So if you are thinking about it, if you are uh, uh, devoting time to it, if I wanted to, I could create a devotion towards exercise. And I probably should do that a little more than what I am at this moment. But I'm just saying, you could become a health nut if you wanted to. How? By just starting to spend time around it, by putting yourself around those kinds of people, by going to the gym, by getting magazines, reading articles, uh, seeing what kind of exercise equipment there are. The more you do it, the more you begin to grow a devotion or a hunger for that thing. And God put that in us so that we can actually steer. We think those things just happen, but they don't. We actually can drive our devotion. We can drive what we devote ourselves to. You know, obviously, uh, if, if Pastor Brad and I didn't show up for church and we're not devoted to church, there would be a problem. You would be sitting here, there would be no pastor. We devote ourselves to what we do, to the house of God. So there is a devotion there that has been created. You know, 20 years ago, we may not have been in every church service. We are today, but it wasn't always like that. We had to learn to devote ourselves and then number three, you have to govern your beliefs and thoughts. Your beliefs and your thoughts. Because every person has been exposed to things in their past. Every person's been exposed to situations. They've been exposed to circumstances. And your thoughts get molded and your beliefs get molded by those situations, by what you've been exposed to, by family dynamics and how you were uh, treated even growing up, what you saw. So your thoughts and your beliefs get molded by those things. As a result, when you become a Christian and you open the word of God, which the word of God is the truth and the whole truth. It is the absolute truth. So when we read it and we find out that maybe one of our thoughts isn't, isn't lined up with the word of God and we're looking at something wrong or we're, uh, let's say we, I'll use this as an example. You know, men that have, or let's say a woman that's been abused, a woman that's been abused and say the father just uh, did not treat the, the daughter well. She was abused by her father. She grew up. She was in an abusive relationship. And then she, she just comes to the, the fact that all men are, are they're mean. They are no good. I have no desire to be in a relationship, relationship with a man because all men are like that. Now, it doesn't really mean that all men are like that. But they have, she has that belief system because that's what she's been exposed to. So there's healing that has to happen. And then there's the word of God that has to begin to transform her and show her the truth in that. So when we read the word of God, we have to find the truth. And the truth has to set us free. The truth has to begin to mold our thoughts. And we have to trust the word. Because we don't always realize, like, why it's true 
if God tells us something, we don't always understand why he's telling us to do that. You know, I use the example about um, how in the beginning of our relationship, I didn't understand submission in the right way. You know, I was thinking submission is just like a doormat. You know, and so when we were first married and we were doing devotions, and I said, you know, the, there was the, the devotion about submission. Well, I was just like, you know, I read the verse, and I'm like, let's go to a different one. You know, I didn't even want to go through it. I didn't want to read it because my idea of submission was, woman, you just be what I tell you you're going to be. You're going to be a doormat. Not that he ever treated me that way. He never did. But in my mind, that's what submission was. So in, in my understanding, I had the wrong understanding. When I actually got into the word of God years later and found out what submission meant and what God designed a, a man and a wife to look like and how the husband to treat his wife and how the wife is to treat the husband, and I began to understand the truth in how God set it up, then I didn't have a problem with it. And I understood, like, his love for me, did, I didn't have an issue submitting because he did it right, and he showed love. So as a result, I don't have a problem submitting. So when you do it God's way, then it, it has power. It has an impact. Then there's, there's truth. You're walking into truth. So our beliefs and our thoughts have to be governed by, or we have to govern over our beliefs and our thoughts. We have to govern over those and switch those, even if we don't understand why God's saying what he's saying. If you don't understand, then dig into it and find the light around it. Find the understanding around it. All right, number four. A leader must govern his appetite. Now, when I say his, you all know that I'm talking about his or her. A leader must govern his appetite or desires, if you want to put desires. Appetite or desires. These are the things that you wish that you had, the things that you desire to have. And, of course, we, all, we can list off people in the, in the Bible that did not have governship over their desires or over uh, what it is that they wanted, their, their appetite. They did not govern their appetite. Um, let's go ahead and, and turn to Proverbs 23. And if you want to listen, if you weren't here last week and you want to listen to the, the full message of those three that I just went over in more detail, um, that's on uh, King's Chapel, West Virginia podcast. So you can uh, subscribe to that and you'll get all the, all the podcasts that come out of this house. So uh, lead will be on there every, every Wednesday. So whatever is taught about in lead night, it will say lead, and then whatever the title of the message is, and then the other ones will come from the Sunday morning, Sunday, Wednesday services. Um, Proverbs 23, verse 1. It says, When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you, and put a knife to your throat. If you are given to gluttony, do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Can I have another version? Rob, what do you got? What do you got? Oh, I read it in that one. While dining with a ruler, pay attention to what is put before you. If you're a big eater, put a knife to your throat. Don't desire all of the delicacies, for he might be trying to trick you. In the, what do you have? Who is New King James or King James? 
There's, if you're a man given to appetite, so in, in this one it says, a man, if you are a man given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies for their deceptive food. Now, I know this might sound like a, a weird scripture here. Like, what is this talking about? Uh, first of all, it says, if you sit down to dine with a ruler. Now, a ruler is not necessarily a king. You might think, well, you know, <laughs> when's this ever going to happen to me? You know, I don't sit down with kings too often and, and hang out and have banquets. But the thing is, it's not meaning like a kingship ruler. It's meaning someone that has influence over you. Someone that has influence, and it doesn't mean, because I, I know you might think at first, oh, like, like a boss or someone that has a rulership over you. But understand it in this way. A ruler is someone that can influence you. Now, if I lay something out before you, and I say, oh, look, you can have this, you can have this, you can have this, and I'm influencing you, and you take it, then I just had influence over you. You see? So if I, it doesn't mean that I'm your boss. It doesn't mean that I'm your ruler, so to speak. But I can have influence over you. And now that you have dined on the delicacies of what I just laid out, I just have had an influence in your life. So when you're sitting down, it says when you sit down with a ruler and he puts all of these delicacies out, he puts all of these good things out before you. It says put a knife to your throat. Well, that sounds pretty, pretty violent, doesn't it? Put a knife to your throat. What does that mean? It means pay attention to what is going on. Don't just jump in there. Don't just grab the thing that looks good in front of you. Because the thing is, as soon as you just jump where your flesh just wants to jump and you start uh, consuming and diving into that thing, you're not thinking about the consequences of what that thing is going to bring you. All you're thinking about is feeding your flesh at that moment. So whenever it says, if you are given to appetite, what that means is it doesn't just mean hunger. What that means is anything you have an appetite for. Any, in fact, you can put it like this. Anything that tends to control you. Anything that you have a desire towards that will drive you instead of you driving it. So whenever that thing is laid out, let me put it this way. If you have a craving to have money... Now, I'm not saying that money itself is bad, but if it's driving you instead of you driving it, it becomes a problem. So if you have a craving to have money and then, you know, you're, you're making these decisions and, and all of a sudden, let's say you're walking a good path, but then all of a sudden, this guy over here says, oh, I, I have this job over here, but you're going to have to compromise this. But I'll pay you this, but you're going to have to compromise. You're going to have to give this up. You're going to have to uh, be here. You're going to have to, you know, I mean, I hear people all the time, they, they, will, they will, because they're in a financial bind or a stressful financial situation, they will give up the, their time in church. They'll give up their, the, the one day that they even go at all to go meet that need. And you might say, well, that's harsh. You know, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. But if they're only going what, that one day a week anyway, they're going on, on Sunday or they're going on Wednesday or whatever it is. They're, they're, they're there, but now all of a sudden, I'm over here. Guess what? They're not even getting fed spiritually now. They just crave this more than they did God. And they made this the idol. So now they don't realize it because they're going, well, you know, as soon as I get this off my back and as soon as I get this paid for, I'll, I'll get back. 
How often does that happen? Not very often. And next thing you know, they're straight down another path. And things are a mess. But it doesn't have to be money. Maybe money's not the issue. You know, maybe, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's companionship. Maybe it's a, well, you know, I just have to have a relationship. I have to be in a relationship. You know, for singles, that can be an issue. I have to have a relationship. I, I know he's not the best one. I know she's not the best one. I know it's not the one God wants for me. But at least it's better than nothing right now. I'm not going to marry him. I'm just going to hang out. And then guess what? You get emotionally attached. All of a sudden, there's compromise. Next thing you know, there's a relationship. There's marriage. People get married all the time. They weren't supposed to get married. So these can be anything that you have an appetite or a desire for that's actually you're trying to, instead of God filling that for you and you having faith in God, then you're actually trying to fill it with that thing. And then all the enemy has to do is lay out the delicacies and you'll go after the delicacy. Unless we rule over our appetite, over, over our desires. So that's why it says put a knife to your throat. That means hold yourself back. Don't allow yourself to jump into that thing. Think about the consequences. It says, do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. And, and what it's saying there, it says, note well, in verse 1, note well what is before you. Pay attention. Pay attention to, to what's going to happen if I choose to do this. Don't just think about what this is going to taste like, what this is going to be like, if I can only have this. If I, if I can only indulge in this, if I can only just have a little bit of fun with this, what's the consequences going to be? What's going to happen if I indulge in that? What's going to happen if I, if I don't hold my appetite back? Because the consequences are going to come. So if we don't hold a knife to our throat, then we're going to face the consequences. So a man or a woman that's going to be a leader has to govern over their own appetite, their own desires. And of course, we've started out talking about self-government, self-government, because you cannot lead others where you are not willing to go yourself. You cannot lead others what you can't govern. And if you can't govern what's on the inside of you, you will not be able to govern what's on the outside of you. So you've got to learn first and foremost if you're going to be a good leader, you've got to govern what's on the inside. And, of course, that's everything we've been talking about, the things that don't show. You know, many, many people think government or, or leadership has to do with being able to, to delegate authority, to boss people around, to be able to be, like, bossy, and that's not a leader. <laughs> that's not a leader. And in actuality, we'll get into that, like, what is a leader? But it, it, it's actually a servant. A leader is a servant. But they're not, it's not the bossy factor. That's not who a leader is. So put a knife to your throat. What pastor teach me tonight? Put a knife to my throat. <laughs> don't get, don't, don't, don't. That's not literal. So think of the dangers. Um, and don't grab a hold. Don't grab a hold of the false ideals. Okay. In fact, I was listening to a, a, a podcast today, and there was a lady, she was saying, you know, uh, I was talking, she, she was a psychologist, um, 
the, the lady in the story, and she was counseling with another, another woman. She said, and the woman was saying, you know, I have a wonderful husband. I have two kids. We're married. I don't have a bad marriage. It's a good marriage. I'm happy that I'm, I'm married to him, and I'm happy that I have these two kids. But once in a while, I think back to this, this relationship that I had back in, in you know high school or whatever. And I think back to this relationship, and I know that's not the guy that I was supposed to marry. I know that it's not. And, and I know that's not the one God had for me. But every once in a while, I think, what would have it been like? What would have it been like if I would have married them? You know, and it seems like it would have been uh, happier. It would have been, you know, more carefree. It would have been this, it would have been that. And she's like, why am I doing that? Because I feel so bad when I, when I think about that or when, I, when that comes on me. And the psychologist said, you know, the thing is, you're, you're probably thinking of that in moments when things are disruptive in your own life, when maybe the relationship isn't going exactly the way you wanted it to, or you're having an issue, you're having a fight, you're having a problem, and now all of a sudden, you know, in your alone time, you're thinking of that. You're thinking of, uh, what if it would have been this one instead? And she said, and what you're doing is, is thinking of an ideal that is false because there's not a reality with that because chances are, well, not chances, but in reality, if you would have married that, it would have been worse because you, wouldn't, you weren't supposed to marry that one. And they, they were probably doing tons of things they weren't supposed to be doing. So life would be a lot worse. If you would uh, allow your appetite to go there, you would find out very quickly that it's not good. It's a false ideal. A false ideal. So put a knife to your throat. Do not give in. Do not give in to uh, excessive needs. Realize what, you're, what you are in your life wanting or desiring, and then build up precautionary measures around that. Make sure that you're, you're governing it. It's not governing you. In fact, people that, that desire uh, praise because of insecurity, that can be an appetite. One of the things that <laughs> Pastor Brad and I talked about is a uh, you know, over the years, we've learned real quick um, in, in the role of pastoring is people that come through the door, if they, if they like, you know, they hear one sermon or they hear a couple sermons and they're like, oh, you are the best. We just love you. You are so wonderful. And they are just so happy to be here and they just like praise you up. And it's easy to go, oh, yeah, mm, uh, they make me feel so good. But I've learned, I've learned that through the years that those are the people that are probably not going to last. Those are the people that's probably not going to be here at some point two years down the road. Because there's this false ideal because they've known me They've known me for one, two weeks. And they're, you know, how many years old? And now all of a sudden, I'm the best thing on, the, on their list? Uh, how does that work, you know? At some point, you're going to be disappointed. At some point, I'm going to fail you. And then what? So if, if you're not careful, that praise can suck you in. That, that feeling of, oh, but they give me this. They boost me up and make me feel good. But the thing is, that's not going to last. 
So you've got to find your security in the Lord. You have to find your security in who God created you to be and not give in to the appetite, not give in to the desire that, that just always feels good. Well, this makes me feel good. So govern over your appetite. Govern over your desires. Um, let's go to... Um, Let's go to the next one. I have, I have more around that, but just for the sake of time. Uh, number five. A man or woman in leadership has to govern over their emotions. Their emotions. When you're finished writing that down, turn to Psalm 16. Have to govern over your emotions. You know, a lot of people think that your emotions are, are what's to be trusted, but they're not. Uh, and a leader, a real leader, is not easily shaken. A lot of things can be happening around them. Things can be going on, but a real leader will not be shaken. They will not allow the turbulence, so to speak, to, to put them in a state of, of panic. So a real leader is not easily shaken. They will stay the course. Psalm 16. Verse 7. It says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is, is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. But that verse in 7 where it says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. That word heart is the very inner, uh, inner core of your be being. It actually means, uh, in the original Hebrew, it means kidney. <laughs> because that's like the, the center of, of who you are. Not your actual kidney, but your kidneys are located centrally. So it's talking about the very core of your being. It's saying at, at the night hour, in the night season... My heart instructs me. Well, what does that mean? In the, in the middle of the darkest hour, in the middle of the, when it, everything seems to be coming against you, in the middle of the, the, when everything's chaotic and it just feels like a big storm, are you going to be swayed by the emotion of that? Or are you going to settle yourself down and allow the very core of your being where the Holy Spirit actually dwells and allow, because remember, God speaks in a still, small voice, right? Not in a big, loud voice. He doesn't speak in the thunder. He doesn't speak in the wind. He doesn't speak in the earthquake. He has a still, small voice. And so a leader has to still himself, has to make himself quiet. Now, I know that there can be things going on all around us, but on the inside, there has to be a stillness on the inside where we quiet ourselves in the midst of what's going on on the outside. We quiet ourselves. What did David do in, in, uh, in the Bible when, when they went and they attacked village and, and they come back home, he and his men, and they find all of the, their wives and their children are gone. Another uh, a city had come and taken everything, taken all of their possessions, taken all of their wives, taken all of their children while they were all out conquering another place. So David's men at this point, it, they're upset. Man, if we wouldn't have been following David, we wouldn't have our wives and our children missing right now. If we wouldn't have been off conquering, he's the one that led us. He's the one that took us out there to go fight. He's the one that said, yeah, guys, let's go do it. The Lord's going to give us a city. 
Now, look at this position I'm in. I don't have a wife. My children are probably dead or enslaved. Now what am I going to do? And then one guy says, yeah, I don't think we should have followed him. Let's get rid of him. You know, I was starting to wonder about him anyway. You know, some of these decisions. I mean, how long are we going to follow this guy out here in the wilderness? How long are we going to do this? One seed gets planted and starts to turn people. Next thing you know, the whole trip was against him. And it says they were talking of stoning him. So in the midst of all this, in the midst of leading, uh, you know, think about it. Think about what David was thinking. He's called to be king. He's been anointed to be king, but years have gone by. Saul has been chasing him, and he's kind of like, God, when? When is this going to happen? When is this going to take place? I'm out here in in a dry area being chased by a king and all of his troops. Like he has nothing better to do than to chase this one man down with an army. And I'm supposed to be king? This isn't making sense. And now my men, my own men are turning against me. My own men, who I thought I could trust in. Like, they've been there with me thick and thin. And now they're talking about stoning me. It said David went and he strengthened himself in the Lord. He had to go find that quiet place. You know, it would have been very easy for him to lash out against the army. It would have been very easy to lash out and say, guys, what have I done for you? You know, I've, you, you followed me, but I have fed you. I've taken care of you. I've made sure you guys have been safe. You guys have, have been with me all this time. I've always kept your heart in your best interest. But he didn't. It says he went and he strengthened himself in the Lord. He had to find that quiet place. He got before the Lord and he asked the Lord, Lord, what do I do? Do I go after him? I mean, think about this, guys. Do I go after them? I mean, he can't even trust for sure that his men are going to follow him. They're talking of stoning him. Do I go after this army? He's putting his full devotion. Now, God says, yes. Now what? Now I got to go out there and tell the guys that want to stone me? Guys, we're going after him. You know? I mean, he doesn't know what the response is going to be, but he believes in the word of the Lord. So he strengthens himself in the Lord. He finds that quiet place, that very inner leading of of his very, the very gut. Like when people say they have an instinct or a gut, a gut feeling. You know, many times it's because that's the thing that's trying to tell you where to go. The Holy Spirit speaks to your spirit and tells you what to do. But it's quiet. It's not a raging whirlwind. He doesn't come down with with neon signs going, go this way. You know, we've got to be quiet, which means we've got to settle our mind. Because our mind will be screaming. Our mind will come up with all kinds of logical things. And it will make sense in the mind in the mind and it will make sense with our emotions because our emotions are raging our emotions are all over the place our emotions can be very mad and then we'll be crying over something and then we'll be upset and then we'll be enraged and then we'll be depressed we can be all over the place in one day so we can't rely on our emotions we have to get back to the word of God and, and get in the presence of God. God, what do you want me to do? That's why, this is why, listen to me, guys. This is why worship is so important. 
This is, this is why it's not a spectator thing. It is a time when you get in his presence. When his presence is there, it's an awesome time to ask him a question. Lord, what do I do about this situation? Because at those moments, remember what I said? There's peace. There's peace. You kind of quiet everything down, and then there's an inner peace. And the Lord can speak to you. The Lord can show you, direct you. And in that moment, you'll be like, okay, all right, I can do that. But the moment you go back out there, guess what you're going to have to rely on? The moment right here. Because when you get back out there, it's going to the, the wind is going to pick up again. That's why these moments here are so important. We're not just hanging out watching the praise and worship team. It's, it's not just a, yep, they did good tonight. Yep. Well, I probably wouldn't have drummed it that way. I probably wouldn't have hit that chord. Oh, he messed up again. No, that's, that's not what's going on. We're, it's not entertainment. That's the difference between worship and the world. The world entertains. They entertain. That's why you can sense a difference in worship. Like if someone comes up and begins to, to steal the show from the Holy Spirit, you can sense it. If you're in tune with things, you can sense it. Because they can direct all the attention onto them. When it wasn't about them, it was about the Holy Spirit. So there, there is a, a, a pressing in, and it doesn't happen unless you participate. I'm not saying it to be hard. I'm saying it to, to give you a clue. To give you an understanding how to be in that place with God. How to be in that place where you can begin to communicate with him. To be in a place where you find that, that peace. Where you find that place where he's speaking to you. And you ask him, God, what do I do here? What do I do about this position? What do I do about this situation? Because it's in the moments of worship that you can trust that more than you can trust everything else that's been going on in your day. Because everything that's going on in your day is very loud. And it will distract you. It will distract your thought. It will distract your emotions. And it will pull you away from God's plan. So you've got to rule over, rule over your emotions. In fact... I'll touch on this real quick before we move on. In Luke 21, you can write it down, and you can read through Luke 21, uh, verses 12 through 19. And Jesus was giving them a warning. He said there's going to come a time. He was telling his, his disciples, he was saying, there's going to come a time when you're going to be caught by the magistrate. They're going to bring you into trial. But he says, do not worry ahead of time about what you're going to say. Do not stress about it. Do not sit there and fret. In, in fact, in one version it says, make up your mind. Settle your heart and make up your mind that you're not going to stress about it because I will give you the words to speak when that time comes. And then it says, it says in the King James Version, it says, by your patience, possess your souls. By your patience, you will possess your souls. So what's that, what that means is in the quietness, in the, in the waiting, you know, sometimes people in the, in the moment of panic, they make the worst decisions because they, the fear starts screaming, everything starts getting loud, and they panic and make a wrong decision. They make a wrong move, and because of that, 
they can go off of a track that, that will seriously have consequences for the rest of their life. So in their patience, you will possess your souls in patience, in the, in the enduring, in the staying put, don't allow yourself to get all frazzled. Don't allow yourself to get stressed. Don't allow, and that's why I tell people a lot of times, like, don't make a hasty decision. I've seen it so many times. People make a hasty decision, boom, and they're out. Boom, and they make a wrong choice because they don't wait it out and they aren't patient. Be patient. Be patient. Give it time to settle down. Give it time to work out. Give it time for the Lord to show himself faithful. Because it's not about your timing, it's about his timing. And sometimes you might be ready, but the other person hasn't submitted yet. Understand what I'm saying? Like, sometimes all the things haven't, Lord, how come I don't have this, this much money yet? How come, well, maybe your boss hasn't submitted to the idea yet that he's supposed to give you a raise because it's not in the policy book. But for some reason, he feels to give you a raise, but that wouldn't be fair to anybody else. It's not in my policy manual. Raises only come once a year. So how would I explain this to anybody? I don't know that. So God could be wrestling with his heart. You don't know. But in the moment, you don't know what God's doing with the other people that have to, that, that God has to work out. And in fact, somebody could say, no, I'm not doing it. So then he's got to find somebody else that will. Give God time to work on things. And for other people to submit to what God wants them to do. Leaders emerge in crisis. They do not emerge in the moments of peace and comfort. Because in those moments of crisis, it makes a leader who will stand up and begin to, to have a solution. Leaders will emerge in crisis, but they do not emerge in peaceful times. Winston Churchill arose when what? We're facing the, the greatest uh, world leader that was coming against uh, Jews, coming against you know what what we should be standing for and, and and a lot of people were deceived and they were screaming I mean socialism socialism you know and and during this time Winston Churchill stands and ends up taking his position and he's like we will not back down I don't care if we're in the mud I don't care what we're we're, we're not backing down we are going to fight this thing and what did people do they looked to him Harriet Tubman in the moment of major crisis for her people, what did people do? They looked to her. Why? Because maybe she's got an answer. She looks solid. She looks strong. She looks like she's determined. There's something in her eye that's different, that everybody else is being thrown here and there by fear. They're being dictated. Oh, no, we can't. We can't do that. We got it. My master, you know, he's, he'll beat me if I get caught running away. You know, things like that. They're being determined by fear. But there was something different about her, and people flocked to her. People thought, oh, this is it. This is it. Here's the answer. People rise up. People that are leaders will rise in the moments of crisis. Think about it even in a traffic jam. Quick story. <laughs> we were, this was actually last year, we were working on High Lama's wedding dress. We were upstairs making alterations, and all of a sudden, we realize the traffic is backed up. And, and we look outside, and it's like nothing's moving. 
Well, right down here, right down the street, you could see it from, from our house, uh, a car had, had run into a telephone pole. And so they only had one lane, and so they were having to alternate back and forth. Nobody was on the scene yet. There was no, no cops, no ambulance on the scene yet. So everything is, like, backed up. And, and it's getting worse because this is a main street that people use. So I'm like, ma'am, and, you know, I know nothing about directing traffic, nothing. I've not, you know, I, I haven't done it before. But I'm like, this is going to be a mess because there's a stoplight down here, there's a stoplight here. It, it's going to create some major problems at both ends. So I, I go down here a little ways and I start directing traffic on the, on the on whatever that street is up over there and, and, and telling them stop and that they have to go this way or down Joe Harry. Like, you got you to gotta go one, but you can't go this way. And so I start directing traffic which looked absolutely ridiculous because Hylama had just put her wedding dress on to try it on. So she's out there, out in the road, looking to see what's going on. <laughs> and, and there I am directing traffic down the road. And of course, you know, there's people like, what are you doing? Because they don't see the wreck, you know? And so anyway, it, in the midst of that, because nobody else knew what was going on. Nobody else didn't, they, they didn't know what to do. So I was willing to try to cause uh, a little bit of alleviation, you know, get the traffic going in one way or another, even though I didn't really know what I was doing. And there was a couple guys that went that got really aggravated at me because probably they was like, what is this stupid woman doing out here in flip-flops and shorts trying to tell me what to do? <laughs> yes, it was you. I didn't know you at the time. It was you. I thought you looked familiar when you... I'm joking. <laughs> that... <laughs> that is funny. That was the day. That's hilarious. <laughs> and you were sitting out there? You didn't see a woman with a wedding dress? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's funny. So leaders emerge in a time of crisis. <coughs> leaders will emerge because it, it, it's in them to do. It's in them to cause, uh, to bring a solution. Leaders ha have the solution. Uh, the last one, in order to be a leader, you must govern your words. You must govern your words. You must be a master of your words. And I'm going to read out of Proverbs 12. Verse 13 and 14. It says an evil man is trapped by his sinful talk, but a wicked, sorry, but a righteous man escapes trouble. Verse 14. From the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things, as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. An evil man is trapped by his talk. Now, let me read another one real quick uh, in Proverbs 15, 28. So just a couple chapters over. The heart of the righteous weighs his answer, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. So, the, or another version, the righteous studies how to answer. The mouth of the wicked gushes evil. You know, you can listen to somebody for about one minute two minutes, three minutes, and you can get a very good gauge on 
a lot of things in their life. There are some people that they will talk for about three minutes, and you know real quick, they're just foolish, as the Bible calls them. I didn't call them that. Bible calls them that. He said a fool runs his mouth. And they're just, and they're all over the place. And they're, t- they're just talking. Blah, 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 they just like their opinion, you know. But a wise person, a leader, will govern his word, and it says he studies how to answer. A wise husband, when the wife comes in and says, how do I look? The wise husband will study his answer before he says (laughs) 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 But words mediate relationships. So words from a leader, you know, a a wise leader needs to understand how, how words will affect how words will impact, when to say something, when to not, when an issue needs to be dealt with and when to wait for another time, not to just be gushing all the time and just saying what you think all the time because your opinion is all that. Because the thing is, your opinion is not always all that. Like, we've got to realize, like, the leader has to be in that position in order to lead, to bring people with them, not to frustrate people all the time. So a a person that has master over their words is a wise person. Words create an atmosphere. Words create an atmosphere. If somebody ran through the door right now and started yelling, there's a fire in the building, people would jump up and start making some decisions about what they wanted to do. And there may not be a fire in the building, but the very words, there's a fire in the building, causes everybody to shift what they're doing at the moment and make some decisions. Words create an atmosphere. You can use words to create a good atmosphere. You can use words to, to solve problems. You can use words to cause destruction. You can w- use words to, to create uh, walls. So words, words last even after the people part. That's why when, when you say something to someone and it hurts, even after the apology, it doesn't go away. The, the hurt is still there many times. That's why the hurt has to be dealt with, and the person has to deal with, with that hurt and be willing to walk through that. But the thing is, if, if people are just blasting out everything all the time, that's not wise. A, a leader has to be mature in how he answers. I want to read one last scripture, and then I'm done. Out of the book of James. Girl, what'd you turn that heat up to? 76? It's hot. James 3. It says uh, in in verse uh, 1, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When, let me stop there for a second. In that, that word that says a perfect man, it means mature. That's what that word means, mature. He is a mature man, a person that keeps his words, a person that, that understands like how to keep his tongue in check is a mature man. It's not meaning perfect as in you're perfect in all of your ways and, and there's no uh, error about you at all. It's a, a maturity. There's a mat- you have become mature. Verse 3, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. 
Take ships as an example. Although they are so large, they are driven and are driven by strong winds. They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest fire or a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. It's saying here, like even the example of a ship, as big as it is, and as strong as the winds may blow, which is an example of outside circumstances you can't control, Okay, so the ship itself is a big ship, and you have strong winds, and you have rains, torrential rains, and, and you've got that beating down, and you can't control the winds. You can't control the outside circumstances. There are things in life that you're not going to be able to control, but it says by your very tongue, it's like a rudder that steers the whole ship. It steers the whole course of a person's life. So you can control the direction and the course or the outcome of life by your very tongue, by what you say. That's why it's so important that you don't speak destruction over your life. Don't say idle things. Don't just talk just to talk. Don't say things that are going to be destructive. That's why, you know, when we talk about, uh, when, when Pastor Brad and I talk about marriage, anytime we give people marital advice or marital counseling or premarital counseling, one of the first things you'll always hear us say, do not talk about divorce. Don't let it be an out. Don't let it be an escape and don't fling it around in your marriage. Because as soon as you begin to say that, it creates a fear in the person, in the other person, or both parties, that that is an option. And then all of a sudden, the more it's said, the more it's said, then it becomes an idea. And then it becomes an out. And then it becomes a possibility. We've never, ever thrown that out in our marriage at all, ever. We made, we made, that was one of the promises we made in the beginning of our marriage, that we would not do that. So it's not anything that we've ever said to one another. Why? Because words have power. They are seeds in the ground of a person's heart. So be a master of your words. Govern your words. Be a governor over these six things that, that we've gone through over the last couple of weeks. These are the things that start a person in leadership. They, they will govern your life and if you bring, excuse me, bring all these things in check and you rule over these areas, this is the beginning of an awesome leader on the inside of you. Because as you begin to, to build in these areas, you're going to be able to lead other people. Because when people see that you govern your tongue, you govern your conscience, you govern your own spirit, you, you govern over your disposition, there's going to be a trust there. There's going to be a trust that people have with you. And there's going to be a, a, a desire to follow somebody. You know, people, too many people want to be a follower because they think, well, you know, that's what's accepted. That's what blends in. That's, that doesn't make me look any different. That's not what we want. You want to be somebody that stands out, but stands out for the right reason. Not stands out like, you know, I'm going to get 16 piercings in my head and, you know, put on... Uh, black fingernail polish and black eyeshadow and, and dress all in uh, my leather and not that kind of stands out, okay? 
Some people do that because they're trying to stand out in the wrong way. But stand out like you are standing out for God. You are a representation of God. And here's the last thing I want to close with. The one thing that I would say is these things that we've gone over, instead of saying, you know, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, look at what you are going to do. Look at who you do want to be and then say, I am a great this. I am a great that. Because this is, this is what happens. I was talking to Zephan uh, the other day, and I said, you know, what happens with most people is I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to spend all my time on Xbox. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to uh, uh, ha have these drugs in my life. I'm not going to, you know, all of these things. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to. But the, the, the very, what happens if I say, don't look behind you right now, but there's something behind you that is going to make you laugh tremendously. I mean, what do you want to do as soon as I say, don't look behind you? you you're going, and I'm going, don't look behind. I'm not. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not. You have a desire to look behind you as soon as I say, don't look behind you. What's the very same thing? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. And it's like you're sitting there facing the, the, the wrong direction going, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that thing right there. And instead of fighting this urge to not want to do that, turn the other way and say, I am going to be this. Because now you're facing the right direction and you've given yourself vision and now you can start walking that way instead of fighting to not go this way, but you're facing this way. So turn around and say, I am going to be a great leader. I am going to be a person that, that rules over my conscience. I'm going to listen when my conscience comes up. I'm going to listen, uh, you know, when, my, when, when things rage and my heart is instructing me. And I need to find the quiet time, that quiet place. I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to make irrational decisions. When I'm, when I'm already frustrated or if I'm already tired and I'm hungry and I'm just not in a good mood, it's not a good time to make a, a, a quick decision. Women, when it's that time of the month, don't make, a, don't make a major decision. Just saying, give yourself a couple days. Let all the emotions come back down to normal before you make the decision. If it's a big decision, because seriously, in two days, it can level back out and you go, oh, that really wasn't a big deal. <laughs> that was, I really blew that one out of the water and made it look like it was a monster. And it really wasn't. That's, that, is, that is some good advice right there for women. All the men say amen. Hallelujah. What? Chocolate. Yes, guys, chocolate. <laughs> and then don't, guys, don't tell her she needs a couple days, okay? <laughs> That's why I just told her, don't you go tell her, you just need a couple days. No. <laughs> all right did you get something out of tonight all you great leaders in the house hallelujah all you great leaders say amen, amen. that's right you guys are going to be great leaders and all you do and everything that you do every position you have you are going to be a great leader. You're going to be a great husband. You're going to be a great dad. You're going to be a great wife, a great mom. You're going to be a great boss, a great motivator. You're going to be a great kid. You're going to be a great yes. church member. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, for these words that came from 
your word tonight, Lord. I thank you for the wisdom that we glean. Lord, I don't know where we would be without your words. So, Father, I thank you that you've given them to us. You shared them with us. Father, I pray that you would give us, even this week, application with your word, that we, it would come to our remembrance at the times that we need it, Lord, that we would use it and put it into practice, just like uh, James says, you know, to, to be doers of the word. So I pray, Father, that that would be our motto, our anthem. We are doers of the word in this house. So we thank you, Father, for that. We thank you for the grace to see these things through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.